Font. Palm. Centipede. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story today is food news. This is from Delish.com. The headline is, A woman called animal control on a croissant after mistaking it for a creature. (laughs) I love this story so much. (laughs) I'm so excited about this. You're definitely going to answer this, but I'm so curious what she thought it was. Yeah. Uh, she didn't know what it was, but she thought it was an an- it was an unknown animal in a ch- in a tree. I'll tell you the story, and then I'll show you the photo of it, and you can decide for yourself if you would have called animal control. All right, all right. A yet to be named well meaning woman in Krakow, Poland, recently alerted the Krakow Society for the Protection of Animals, or KTAS, after a strange creature had been sitting outside in a tree for two days. <laughs> According to a post on the KTOS Facebook page, she wasn't the only person concerned about the unidentified creature. The entire neighborhood was, too. The call was originally thought to be a late April Fool's joke, but the woman, who vehemently denied the animal being a bird, assumed it could have possibly been an iguana stuck in the tree that may be in some trouble. After dissecting the direction she the, the apparently weird directions she gave to to the team of this organization which it, it didn't go into the what the directions were but apparently they were strange um she gave them directions to locate the tree hosting the creature and a team from Ketaz was finally able to spot the troublemaker nestled in between two lilac branches um and it was at that point that they realized that it was a croissant <laughs> <laughs> And um, the theory is that it probably got stuck there when some other well-intentioned neighbor attempted to feed the birds in the area. Um, Ketos said that they are still happy that this woman's worry caused her to reach out. They said it's always worth reporting if something concerns you. Um, So that's okay. And it was just kind of a funny story. But this is a photo of the the thing. It's a croissant in a tree. It's quite clearly a croissant. I don't like the first time I looked at it. I was like, if I was looking at that from a distance, I might have thought that was some weird like cocoon of some type. Yeah, but not I could like see it. Like it almost looks a little bit like a very narrow wasp nest. Like you know yeah. those big papery wasp nests that get created. Yes, but definitely not like an a, animal. Yeah, like a like a bee's nest <laughs> is a good description of kind of what it looks like. Like yeah, I think it's just it's just so out of place. Yeah, in a tree that it's like maybe you're. The person's mind just didn't go to like, oh, that's a piece of bread in a tree. Sure. Like they thought it was an animal, and they called animal control. There's something so funny about it, specifically being a croissant, though. Like if it, like if it, like because it's a specific type of bread. Like it yeah, was like if it was just a, like a, like a, a baguette bread. or something. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> if it was a baguette, it would also be funny. Yeah, that would also yeah. be pretty funny. Um. Like a raspberry Danish. Yeah, and a uh, side note, the Facebook page where this was originally posted, I, it's not in English, but I've seen other pictures posted since then that make me feel like this has kind of become a meme with that group because <laughs> they post things with like a croissant like photoshopped into it, and I'm pretty sure it's becoming a meme now of like just like croissants in like unexpected places. <laughs> And it's funny. That's so good. My first story is technology news. 
This is from The Verge. Amazon One's palm scanning payments are coming to Whole Foods. Wait, what's Amazon One? I didn't know until this article. Oh, okay. And I still don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> but. All right. I'm pretty sure it's like their brick and mortar store. Oh. Like segment of their business or okay. something. Or it's at least related to that. Yeah. Um, so Amazon is now testing its Amazon One palm scanning payment technology in a limited number of Whole Foods locations. Uh, According to an Amazon FAQ, the palm scanning technology analyzes the minute characteristics of your palm, both surface area details like lines and ridges, as well as subcutaneous features such as vein patterns, in order to uniquely identify a customer, allowing them to use the biometric scan as an alternative method of checking out. Um, So kind of like how you have Apple Pay or Google Pay or whatever, where you hold your phone into a thing, this would just be your actual palm. Uh, customer, cool, cool. <laughs> customers will be able to register their palms at kiosks in the supported Whole Foods stores, allowing them to associate a physical credit card with that palm scan. Uh, Amazon One users will also be able to link their Prime accounts to their scans to get the subscription services discounts while shopping. Uh, it will debut at the Madison Broadway Whole Foods in Seattle as an additional payment option for customers, with plans to expand it to seven other Whole Foods stores in the Seattle area over the next few months. So it's not going to be everywhere just yet, but mm-hmm. they're adding it. And I don't know. This just sounds like the future. Yes. <laughs> in, a, in a weird, kind of creepy way, if you think about it too much, about Amazon having like a detailed palm reading. I should also tell you your future and stuff. Like <laughs> just build in a palm reading Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I agree with you that it feel it has this weird feeling of like potential neg something negative happening, but like what would happen? Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't really know what somebody would do with your palm. That's yeah, like malicious. I, I mean, guess. the only you know, I guess not if to somebody get got your too palm. dark here. But like, <laughs> I guess somebody could like try to take your hand yeah. and use it for nefarious purposes, but, like... Right, which doesn't make it any more dangerous than, like, fingerprint reading yeah. technology, which is already pretty widespread right. in a lot of ways. And that only requires taking the finger. <laughs> yeah, and that's not, like, lot prevalent or something, so... Oh, yeah, that too. No, I mean, <laughs> I just mean... I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> we shouldn't be afraid of it. I just don't know, like... Yeah, I think it's just when things get too sci-fi, sometimes you think like, oh, like something bad's going to happen. What's but the, why? Yeah. Like what's going to happen? For this especially, it's just like I don't really understand why you would be worried about them having this information. But uh, yeah, my main concern is, is this something you have to touch? That, I also was thinking that. Do you have to like press your palm onto this thing? Because yeah. that's not super sanitary basically ever since the pandemic now anywhere that i have to touch something public i'm just like can we find a different way (laughs) i I really like these like i also think bathroom doors that have the thing you can like grab with your foot to pull it open Mm. i haven't gotten to use one yet but i've seen them and it's like why isn't every bathroom door that so i don't have to touch a bathroom door yeah like any time that I have to manually turn like a faucet knob in public, I'm just like, why haven't they addressed this yet? I'm very cognizant of these things yeah. now, and this just sounds well, like putting my whole hand on a thing. It's also, I think, 
like forever for the rest of my life, I'm just going to be carrying like a Purell or some type of thing like in my mm. bag with me anytime I go out in public anywhere. Yeah. Because I like have this need to, after I've been in a public place to like clean my hands with it. Like obviously that's a good thing to do now you have to anyway, but right. like once there's not a pandemic anymore, I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm it just feels that, better. <laughs> I'm hoping a lot of these new, uh, what is it called? I literally forgot the name of it. Hand sanitizer. Once the pandemic's over, I hope a lot of these new hand sanitizer stations that have gone up stay yeah. and keep getting restocked because that's very convenient. Yeah. Because I'm probably not going to be one of those people that carries it around with me, but I definitely get the sentiment. My next story is random local news. <laughs> This is from abcnews.com, and the headline is, Man with Diabetes Becomes First Person to Run from Disneyland All the Way to Disney World, like across the whole country. Oh, because he got to Disneyland and was like, oh, dang it, I got the ticket for the wrong one, and then he just booked it yeah. before it expired. Yeah, yeah. and he made it. Yeah, well, that's, that's excellent. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Don Machow just became the first person to run from Disneyland. To Disney World, the 59-year-old ultra-marathoner decided to run from California to Florida to prove that his type 1 diabetes doesn't hold him back. The mouse-to-mouse run was <laughs> 2,761 miles long wow. and took him 88 days to complete. So he was running with no breaks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, he, he took breaks. He never stopped or ate. Um... But yeah, he he ran across like the whole country practically, and for, it took eighty eight days. That seems it's wild. Good. I don't it's know just, how, it's I have just no, this is incredible. I have no sense of the scale of like or what the speed is there, but that sounds fast. Yeah, should I have done the math? <laughs> Two thousand seven hundred sixty one miles divided by eighty eight days. How many miles per day is that? I'll do that math later. I'm not going to try to do that in my head right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the rest of this article was was like an interview with him just asking asking different questions, so I just took some highlights out of that. So he was asked, what does it mean to you to be the first person to run from Disneyland to Disney World? And he said, it's a little surreal. I've been very happy about bringing more attention to the struggle people with type 1 diabetes face with being active. My objective is to get the word out to start rather than not start at all. I tell people all the time that I was very close to taking the wrong turn in the fork in the road between being active and being a victim to diabetes. What's more, my wife and I had the opportunity of a lifetime to connect with people across the United States who shared with us their stories of loved ones with diabetes. Yesterday, we chatted with a woman whose uh, son has has diabetes and started talking about ways that he can be more active, and that's what this is all about, raising awareness um, and the positive impact that lifestyle changes and technology can make. So that was, like, why he did it. Like, he just wanted to... It's very uplifting. Raise... He wanted to inspire people that, like, you can be an active person and achieve things, even if you have that condition. So yeah, it was cool. Um, and then he was also asked, what advice do you have for other people with diabetes? And he said, I would tell people not to criticize themselves and also that you're not alone. And there are hundreds and thousands of us struggling with the same issues about like being physically active and there's a strong community out there and you can connect with them and figure it out as part of the community. So I thought that was just a nice, yeah. Yeah, that's a feel-good uh, story. Heartening. Wait, is that a word? <laughs> Instead of disheartening? 
Sure. Okay. It was uh, heartwarming, I think is what I was trying to there say. There you go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Heartening. Heartening. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was just like a heartwarming thing. So I thought that was nice. Yeah. My next story is dinosaur news. I should say the lead into this headline sounds really dark, but I promise it's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, it'll be fine in like four words. I just need to get through the beginning of it. Okay. 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 Discovery of mass death site. Bolsters theory that tyrannosaurs hunted in packs. I'm glad you gave me the uh, warning. Yeah. It sounds very, very bad. (laughs) 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 It's like, oh, no. Um, Okay. okay, It was a bunch of dead dinosaurs. Okay. Long dead. Long dead. They're fine. I mean, not fine. Long before humans. Yeah. Um, A remarkable fossil site in Utah in which several tyrannosaurs were found buried together strengthens a burgeoning theory that these fearsome creatures hunted in packs similar similar to wolves. Because we kind of always thought they were just singular hunters. Um, So this is interesting. They gave kind of a history of this theory. Uh, The idea that tyrannosaurs were social hunters is a possibility paleontologists have been considering for more than 20 years. Back in 1910, paleontologists working in Alberta, Canada, discovered the remains of 12 tyrannosaurs that appeared to have died together. Uh, the discovery was largely forgotten until Canadian paleontologist Philip Curie, now with the University of Alberta, revisited the old finding in 1998, arguing that it was evidence for, quote, gregarious behavior in tyrannosaurs and that these animals were pack hunters. Um, so, yeah, like... 1910 is when they found this first fossil, but it was basically forgotten for a century. Um, Seven years later, that same paleontologist, along with several colleagues, reported on a similar discovery made in Montana in which the remains of three dinosaurs were also found together, or tyrannosaurs specifically. Mm. Um, And then in 2014, paleontologists described fossilized footprints found in British Columbia, Canada, which appeared to show three tyrannosaurs moving in the same direction at the same time. So we've got kind of a lot of evidence of this. Um, but cool. Dis- but despite the evidence, scientists have been reluctant to ascribe pack behavior to tyrannosaurs, uh, claiming that the limited cognitive cap- capacities of dinosaurs couldn't have possibly allowed for it. What? Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's just a very generous way of saying they think they're too stupid to have been pack hunters. Um, but it also, like... I don't know why they think they know that. I don't agree with this assessment. Yeah. It's like, even <laughs> as a non expert <laughs> in anything <laughs> regarding dinosaurs, I don't agree. <laughs> it just feels that, like that... another case of like, even in ancient animals, we assume they're dumber than they yeah. are. Yeah. Why is this such a common theme? It's like, I well, we know. don't have any evidence that they knew anything, so they must have been completely stupid. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> why, do, why do we just assume that? Like, why can't we assume that they were intelligent? To some level. I don't know. That's strange. Uh, But now this new fossil site, so this is like an entirely new one, like other than these other pieces of evidence, uh, was found within the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, and it yielded the remains of four or possibly five tyrannosaurs, all of whom appear to have died at the same time. Um, analysis of stable carbon and oxygen isotopes, along with concentrations of rare earth metals, yielded a relatively homogeneous signature, which strongly suggests that the fossils were all derived from the same source population and that the animals died and became fossilized together. Um, 
So yeah, they all seem to have died at the same time. Um, hmm. uh, critics of the theory uh, point out that just because the Tyrannosaurus were all buried together, it doesn't automatically mean they actually partook in pack hunting. For example, they may have gathered together to feast on a fallen animal, which may or may not have been a typical behavior for this species, kind of similar to a modern-day vulture. They don't know if that was something they maybe did. Maybe hmm. that would explain why we've seen so many of them. Um, okay. So many cases of this, but and obviously it's nearly impossible to ever prove one or the other because time travel doesn't exist. Right. So... Uh, but I just thought that was interesting and also terrifying because one Tyrannosaurus Rex would be a lot to deal with, but imagine like a whole pack of them coming after you. Jurassic Jurassic World should run with that idea. Yeah, <laughs> they really should. Um, yeah, that seems like seems like overpowered, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like these <laughs> gin- gigantic, like a pack of gigantic lizards. And like still, but thinking like a wolf pack and like cooperating and, they can, and that. Yeah, kind of thing. and they can like flank you and stuff. Like, how did anything survive ever? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, they didn't. <laughs> they, wait, all the dinosaurs died. Wait a minute, New <laughs> my theory. mind is blown. <laughs> the, t- <laughs> the tyrannosaurs, the tyrannosaurs took out every dinosaur, <laughs> and then they didn't have any food. So then they died, and that was the end. That was the and end. That's actually what happened. Yeah. Wow. And then a meteor hit the earth. Yeah. Unrelated. And it masked everything. <laughs> it's a massive cover up. No, it's the, the biggest cover up in history. The tyrannosaurs made a giant lasso. <laughs> And pulled a passing meteor out of the sky to destroy everything to make it look the like evidence. it wasn't them. Right. Yeah. They didn't want their reputation, like, sullied, like, like for, <laughs> for, like, later species of the Earth, you know? It's like how to get away with murder B.C. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my next story is animal news. <laughs> This is from gizmodo.com, and the headline is, Giant Amphibious Centipede Discovered Attacking Prawns in Japan. Gross. Yeah, it, it kind of <laughs> is. Um, they have too many legs. Yeah, yeah and this one's big, too. Um, so the latest <laughs> critter to emerge from the Japanese archipelago is an 8-inch long, 1-inch wide centipede. The first new centipede species to be identified in Japan in nearly 150 years. A paper about the animal was published this month in the journal Zootaxa. It lives in the Ryukyu Island chain, which stretches from southwestern Japan to Taiwan. A team of Japanese biologists went to study it after hearing reports of an unknown centipede species attacking giant freshwater prawns, which are rat-sized shrimp that dwell in the streams and rivers of Southeast Asia. Oh, my God. So, like, side note, I had never heard of that before this article. Also, too big. (laughs) Also too big. And the reports were like, oh, there's some giant centipede attacking these things. Like, we've seen it. Like, it's some creature. And then then that's that's what prompted the investigations of, like, oh, what is this? Kind of terrifying. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, the many-legged arthropod is only the third amphibious centipede from the group Scolopendra, a genus of about 100 known species, to be classified. So there's only, in that genus, there's only three, like, amphibians, or amphibious centipedes, I guess. So this is the third one now. Um, The team distinguished this animal from other members of the genus through a genetic analysis. 
It was named Scolopendra Alcyona after Alcyone, a woman in Greek mythology who was cursed by the gods. Oh, how nice. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Was she cursed by the gods to become a a giant water bug that Um, attacked prawns? (laughs) So I was trying to like understand why they picked this person's name and it was something about like she was involved in something where some people were turned into like kingfishers but it had nothing to do with centipedes so i don't know but it has did have to do with like water some story with her i don't know okay a little bit of a stretch a little bit of a stretch yeah but whatever that's what they wanted to do fine um this is not the largest centipede in the scolopendra genus that honor belongs to the aptly named scolopendra gigantea a, a South American centipede that can grow to a foot long, or about, about a foot long. So. Okay, so just a little Huge. bit bigger. Yeah, because this one's like eight inches. So Still big. Yep. Um, other centipedes in this genus are known to be venomous, with fangs that deliver a very painful bite. It's like, great. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I'm learning a lot stu- <laughs> of information I didn't want to know. <laughs> but the study authors have not had a chance to figure out for sure whether this new species is venomous also. But... One I'm personally going to assume <laughs> <laughs> one of those researchers needs to just go off up their arm. I mean, yep. like, why haven't they already done that? Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm just personally going to assume it's venomous <laughs> and stay away. <laughs> um, and then a final note that the animal was found both on Okinawa, the Japanese island, and on Taiwan itself. And the researchers believe the centipede is endangered, um, which may explain how it had evaded human detection for so long. This is a picture of one. You can't really tell how big it is from this picture, but they're pretty big. Because I saw also, like, a video of it swimming in, like, a tank. Yeah. And it was like, ooh. Like, it's... Yeah, all those... It's like... All those legs, like, just rapidly moving to swim is probably not a very appealing sight. Yeah, because it can totally, like, dive down and be, like, swimming. It's like an eel. It looks like an eel. But then it can come out of the water and, like, climb up. It's like, ooh. Oh, that's too much power. (laughs) (laughs) Too many animals are overpowered in this world. <laughs> this is going to be the, ty- the T-Rex of our time. It'll wipe us all out. It's going to keep growing. Um, They're going to learn how to hunt in packs. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, can you imagine a pack of centipedes? That's so scary. <laughs> that is so terrifying. Oh. Good thing their brains are so small. My next story is Space news. This is from CNN. The UK's space agency is hunting for moon trees grown from seeds that went on the Apollo 14 lunar mission. When I first saw this headline, I thought they had like left some tr- seeds on the moon and thought they would grow. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't seem right. It's- These are seeds that were taken on the mission and then also brought back <laughs> on the mission. Oh. Um, they and just they, and then took they planted some- them here. They took seeds with them to the moon and, and then brought them back to Earth and planted them? Yeah. Okay. So that's... It's I'll, more I'll ex- save my questions yeah. to the end. It's more exciting than it sounds. Okay. Uh, 50 years ago, NASA's Apollo 14 completed the third crewed mission to the moon. On board the spacecraft as it landed in the Pacific Ocean on February 9th, 1971, were about 500 tree seeds. The seeds had traveled with Stuart Rusa, one of the three NASA astronauts on the mission, in his personal luggage. They were part of an experiment that it sounds like only he was really part of, and there wasn't actually any kind of system in place for. Um, okay. 
but he just wanted to see how the seeds reacted to the space environment. Um, then the U.S. Forest Service studied the genetic structure of the seeds, investigating whether they would sprout and grow normally, um, which, spoiler, they did. Hmm. Upon their return to Earth, the seeds were germinated by the U.S. Forest Service, uh, known as the moon trees. The resulting seedlings were planted around the world, according to NASA. There was no systematic effort to keep track of them, which is crazy to me. <laughs> um, but NASA has since tracked down about 60 of the trees, mainly in the U.S., but also ones in Brazil, Japan, and Switzerland. Um, so, yeah, they took these seeds into space, brought them back, went to plant them, and didn't keep track of where they put them. <laughs> why Why would they do this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what is going on? They found less than a fifth of them, too. Like That's... That's like wild. Like, so we just forget. Where are like, they? There might be one like right down the street. You don't know. Yeah. Um, so Steve Miller, who is the vice president of the Royal Astronomical Society and a professor at University College London, believes that some of these seeds or seedlings ended up in the United Kingdom. Uh, he wants to know what happened to them, as does the UK Space Agency, and they're now appealing to the public for any leads, which is kind of like the point of this article, but I was just more fascinated by the fact that we've sent seeds into space so much. Um, so since the Apollo mission, other seeds have made the journey into space and successfully sprouted. In 2015, about four pounds of salad seeds spent six months on board the ISS and were successfully planted back on Earth, um, although they grew more slowly than their counterparts that didn't leave Earth, which is kind of interesting, and I wonder what the mechanism would be hmm. that would cause that slowdown. Um, yeah. Uh, the UK is also home to seven apple trees uh, that went on a, a mission to the space station. The UK Space Agency cultivated the seeds from the very tree that inspired Isaac Newton to discover gravity. So apparently oh, wow. we know which tree that was, which is cool. Yeah, we, we know the exact tree. Yeah, we know that one, but we can't find the other space, <laughs> the moon trees that we put all over the world, apparently. Who's, whose job was it to keep track of this? I don't know. Apparently no one's. I think that's the problem, is that there's just this guy brought some seeds with him. It was like, this will be a cool experiment. Oh, I guess I don't care now. <laughs> like, yeah, like that guy just here, was these. like, oh, yeah, here, take this. This is cool, but I'm just, you just take it. I don't care anymore. Like, yeah. All right. All I right. want to know where these are. There's 140 yeah. of them unaccounted, or 440 of them unaccounted for, and I want to know where they are right now. The world may never know. The world probably won't ever know, because from what I can tell, they just look like regular trees. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we know where some of them are. Yeah. They had, a, can... pic they had a picture of one of them, but it's, I mean, it's just a regular tree. But it's just a tree. regular tree, right? Like, but, yeah. What? But we okay. know it's a moon tree. Okay, well, that's cool. Yeah. They should put up a plaque in front of it being like, this is a moon tree. They might have a plaque in front oh. of it that says okay. something. <laughs> probably not exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But hopefully they have some kind of label on it so they don't lose it again. Yeah, because otherwise it's going to get lost again. Exactly. Yeah, the picture does make it look like there's a plaque underneath it. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better. Like, it's not going to get lost. Okay. Just a tree, though. It's just a tree. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. It's time for breaking news, the part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Is that a croissant in your tree, or...? <laughs> Ready, set, go! Okay, um, this is on BBC News today. Um, the headline is, Italian hospital employee accused of skipping work for 15 years. 
Apparently uh. this guy, <laughs> like, stopped showing up to work, but somehow was still on the payroll. Like, he never got actually, like, I don't know, fired or something. And then he was just collecting a paycheck <laughs> for 15 years from this hospital. Um, uh, seems like a pretty good deal. I mean, you're like, not going to say, like, stop giving me money. And I guess, like, the person's manager, like, left or retired or something. And so that's why, like, this wasn't no. I don't know, like, somehow, like, it was, like, a series of events that, like, this wasn't noticed. And that the guy so was just funny. collecting. I mean, like, I don't know. Is this interesting? Like, part of me is, like, why wouldn't you tell them? But at the same time, why would you tell them? Like, yeah, why would why, you? That's on the hospital, I feel like, for sending him money. It's not like, even going there. Like, it's like what? my electric bill was really low for a while, and I was like, I'm not going to tell them that my electric bill is really low and be like, let me pay you more money. And then I found out there was an issue with my meter. <laughs> and then I owed a bunch of money. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah. So that was Are they making him fun. pay it back? Or? Um, I don't think they are. That's surprising. <laughs> It doesn't say, I mean, it doesn't, it does not say that they're trying to make him pay it back, but, um, but like it was 15 years of, of money, yeah. which is kind of like, I feel like after 15 years, you should just be allowed to keep it because that's not your fault. That's not your fault. <laughs> like, how did they not know that for that long? It's just like, what? That's, that's wow. Yeah. I don't know. I think that feel like that's on the, the, the place of employment a little bit there, but yeah. anyway. So that was fun. Funny. I found this on UPI. Message in a bottle travels 250 miles from Kentucky to Tennessee in 30 years. It's a bottle wait, traveling for, I mean. It, wait, from Kentucky to Tennessee? It took a really long time. Oh, okay. <laughs> or at least it wasn't found for a very long time Whoa. is probably the more likely explanation. Mm. Um but a message in a bottle dropped into a Kentucky River was found 30 years later, like I just said, uh, about 250 miles away. Um, Pam and Daniel Stanfield said they found this treasure while, while treasure hunting on the shore of a lake near Ripley, Tennessee, uh, after recent flooding, when they found the message in the bottle. Mm. Um, the note inside was signed, John and Trina and said the message was launched into the Green River on December 21st, 1990. Uh, the bottle had apparently traveled through the Green River, the Ohio River, and the Mississippi River before ending up in the lake. So quite a journey yeah. for this bottle. Um, she said her Facebook post about the discovery had been up for less than an hour before she was connected with Trina Hollander, the person who had sent oh, the message. That's uh, nice. She said her she didn't remember sending the message, but her husband immediately remembered remembered it. Uh, they had just moved into a home together, and they launched the bottle, um, like before right before they had gotten married, which is kind of cool. Yeah, uh, and they said the two families plan to keep in touch with each other because I, I guess that's enough <laughs> <laughs> to be friends now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess this is enough for them to be friends now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. know. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of cool that that can even ha like, not only that it was found, that it was found so far away so much later and they were able to like connect with the other person like that. Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I think like finding the other ago, person. You wouldn't have been able to. Yes, totally. Yeah. But yeah. Like the connecting like so quickly that that's really cool. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. I wonder, like, there's probably a lot of, like, messages in a bottle just, like, out there that are just never going to be, or, like, at the bottom of the ocean or yeah. something. Like, I don't know, because... <laughs> in the Great not... Pacific Garbage Patch. Yeah, in the... <laughs> yeah. Full of messages. Yeah. Well, because people probably, you know, put it sometimes just for fun and... I think it's actually probably really rare for it to actually end up someplace where somebody is going to pick it up and actually like read it. Yeah, much less like that far away and that yeah. much later. Yeah, right. It's very cool. That is really cool. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews, on Twitter at at knickknacknews, and on Instagram at knickknacknews. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.